like I said, we are nearing the end of the Flawed Yet Faithful series. And just a quick reminder from last week, we have, we've really viewed Simon Peter in three different ways. Uh, there was the first few weeks, we encountered Peter the disciple. He was full of passion and mistakes. And that was mostly in the gospel accounts of Peter. And then we encountered a very different man in Peter. That was Peter, the church leader, where he interprets scripture, he preaches, he receives a history-changing vision from God, and he boldly goes on mission. And we read about Peter, that Peter, throughout the book of Acts. But now we've moved into his writings as a church elder with first and second Peter. And so that is Peter, the elder, where he writes these letters to persecuted Christians uh, in, in first and second Peter. And last week, we had some heavy moments, right? If you were with us last week, we had some heavy moments because Peter was writing to persecuted Christians about remaining faithful to Jesus and take this persecution in stride. And we spent a considerable amount of time trying to reframe our approach to suffering because we tend to do two things with suffering. Anyone remember? It's fine if you don't. We tend to do two things with suffering. We tend to minimize it. It's not a big deal. Other people have it far worse. I shouldn't complain or you shouldn't complain. Or we moralize it. We think karma is paying me back for my mistakes. God is paying me back for my mistakes. And how neither approach is consistent with God or how Peter approaches suffering. And so instead, we talked about something very unnerving. We talked about how it is actually an honor to be persecuted and suffer for the cause of Christ. That is what Peter is telling these Christians in the first century. And so today, we move forward in 1 Peter as, as, as he continues to talk about suffering. Um, he's encouraging these Christians to embrace it and refuse the desire to even fight back. But he also continues to link suffering with Christ and how it's an honor to be persecuted. So we left off in chapter three. We're gonna pick back up, but if, if you were here last week, then you know we, we, we kind of skimmed, hit some highlights. Same thing today, because we're actually gonna land in 2 Peter later today. But 1 Peter chapter three, Peter drops this gospel on us with a single verse. It is 1 Peter 3, verse 18, if you, if you have your Bible with you, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And I know we're just starting the sermon, but come on, that is a gospel bombshell right there. And so if you're here this morning and you are curious about faith, Jesus, Christianity, uh, struggling with your faith in general. What makes this whole thing different from other faiths and traditions and beliefs? Peter laid it out for us right there. Jesus, the righteous, another one of saying without sin, the perfect human, he did what? He took our death. We then, the unrighteous who can't earn God, he brings you to God. Jesus' perfect life, his death, his resurrection, it brings us then to God. 
You could also say it this way. Religion as a whole is man's search for God. But Christianity is God searching for man because this is no longer us reaching up, trying to find God. This is God dropping Jesus to us. Jesus came to us. He lived a life like us, except he did it perfectly. And then he, he gave himself up for us. And I'll just never get over how much Jesus loves me. So I will never stop telling you how much Jesus absolutely loves you. And if someone believes, the, believes this, it actually begins to make sense that you would embrace suffering. And, and that's why Peter is reminding these Christians, take this persecution in stride. It's an honor to be persecuted. And in the midst of these encouragements around persecution, Peter also reminds and encourages them to live in community, to, to, to live together. In the next chapter, look at this, 1 Peter 4, I'm picking up in verse 7. And I feel like I'm in my old school Baptist church where the pastor would pause and give people a moment to find their place, you know. I get used to the slides as, as anyone does. First Peter 4, pick it up in verse 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. I wanna pause for a second and, 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 and talk briefly about this idea of sober-mindedness, being of sober mind. The easy example, I think, for a lot of us, when we hear that phrase, we hear the word sober in our culture and, and it primarily describes choosing to go without maybe certain substances like alcohol or, or drug use. And that should be celebrated, absolutely. That's, that's where our minds typically go first. And I'm not gonna give a but to this, like, oh, that blah, 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 but. But I wanna give an and instead, because I believe to be alert and sober-minded, it also means sober-mindedness is living with eternity in view. That would be on a slide, you'd write it down. That, 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 you know, I'm just trying to help you out, cue you for that, okay? Sober-mindedness is living with eternity in view. And let's just, let's just talk about a few of these. Being easily offended. That is not keeping a sober mind. Being easily upset by the news. That is not keeping a sober mind. Allowing small things to ruin your day is not keeping a sober mind. Becoming easily outraged by a political opponent is not keeping a sober mind. Fighting a culture war where we feel like we need to battle for certain causes and live in constant fear of media, conspiracies, and the like is not keeping a sober mind. Sober-mindedness 
is living with eternity in view. Peter says, be alert. Absolutely, be alert. Be informed, you know, be alert. Pray for people, though, who easily offend you. Pray for the small things that sometimes get the best of you. Pray for your local and national government and the politicians who work to lead our country. Pray about the things that scare you in the world, but refuse to be consumed by it. There are some things being said these days by professing Christians in the media that are just head-scratching to me sometimes because they come from a place of fear and not a sober mind, certainly not motivated by love. And so I think keeping a sober mind means that we also demonstrate self-control. Because if we constantly take in fear, if we're constantly reading about the outrage and how we should also be outraged and other forms of garbage, we're constantly taking it in, then what are we going to be putting out? What are we going to produce if all we take in is trash? We said this all the time in college ministry, trash in, trash out. And so what should we do? Instead, what should our focus be? As Peter laid out for us right there in chapter four, to remain so sober-minded is to, is to live with eternity in view. But we also pray and love each other deeply. We are to be known by our generosity and our hospitality. Peter says, don't be known for your complaining and your grumbling. I'll say it one more time for that person that you think needs to hear it, and definitely not you, right? We should not be known for our complaining or grumbling, but instead we use our gifts for each other. And what an honor it is to look out at our church every single Sunday and, and see the things that Peter describes here, to see people stepping up, to see people overlook offenses, to, to witness firsthand the generosity and hospitality of those in this church. We are far from perfect, but what an honor it is to be part of this community. And I wanna keep going and I wanna keep believing God for more. Now, Peter, he goes on to encourage these Christians to rejoice in their suffering. You know, what we've been covering for a couple of weeks now. And in the last chapter, he says, um, he, he says that he encourages the elders of the church to be the example of love in their churches. This isn't about abusing authority. This isn't about personal gain. This is about being willing to take care of people. And then with this in mind, Peter's closing encouragement, 1 Peter chapter 5 now, his closing encouragement in his letter, picking up in verse 6, is this. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter writes, Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Kind of reminds me of last week where we talked karma, grace, and, and all of that, suffering and everything. Verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. He's repeating it again for us in case you missed it that first time. Be of sober mind. Keep eternity in view. Verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone 
to devour. Could we pause right there for a second? I think it's an interesting phrase that Peter uses. He says that our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. He does not say your enemy is a roaring lion, but he says your enemy, the devil, is no lion at all. The devil is an imposter. He looks scary. He sounds brutal. He seems ferocious. But the devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's an imposter. Verse 9, resist him. Standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sins you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that is what our flawed yet faithful friend Peter, with the help of his friend Silas, that is what they had to say to the hurting, suffering, persecuted Christians around 60, 61, 62 AD. The Christians who received this letter were no doubt encouraged by it. But remember how they lived, how, how Peter pleaded with them to live. It was, it was together, humbly and imperfectly, but nonetheless, it was together. And so the Christians in 61 AD, they loved one another and they, and they gave to one another and they didn't just do it because Peter said it was a great church planting strategy. They did it because they were modeling the way of Jesus Jesus, who emptied himself completely, he humbled himself and took the posture of a servant. And in this humility, God elevated him into the name above all names. And so Peter is pleading with the Christians to remember this. And we can read this today and we can understand it similarly for us. And that is the end of 1 Peter. Can we give a round of applause? Not to me, this is Peter. Can we give a round of applause? Uh, so... So that's, that's 1 Peter. That's what he wrote to these people. Of course, even if you don't know much about the Bible, if we call something 1 Peter, then you could assume there is now a 2 Peter. You all are on it. I love you all so much. So we're not waiting until next week. Let's now transition. Let's introduce ourselves to this letter, 2 Peter, really quick. And then uh, we will pick it back up next week. But here we are, 2 Peter. Go ahead and flip there. Uh, in the second letter, just so you know, we don't need a big uh, history lesson on it like we did last week with 1 Peter, because Peter is writing to the same network of churches again. These churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. However, here, listen to this. However, there is a big difference this time. In 1 Peter, he had, you know, the focus the focus was, was all about, hey, take that persecution in stride, you know, and, and focus on eternity and, and all these things. On well, second Peter, Peter has come into some knowledge. Peter knows 
he's going to be executed quite soon. And so he writes 2 Peter to the same churches, to the same Christians, to the same persecuted people. And he says this for himself in verse 13. Again, this is 2 Peter 1. There's a lot of numbers in here. Even I can't get them straight, so it's okay if you can't. 2 Peter 1, verse 13, Peter says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Interesting phrasing. Because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And so church this morning, I just want to take a moment here. It is, it is humbling to read a man's last words. And it's okay to feel that way. But what is Peter doing? I mean, if you knew you had one letter to write and then, and then your life was over, what would you want to say? Well, for Peter, he's still encouraging these suffering Christians. He doesn't make it about himself at all. He ended First Peter, we just read it. Humble yourselves under the hand of God, cast your anxieties on him, resist that imposter, the devil, stand firm in your faith. And Peter essentially picks up where he left off. We just read verses 13, 14, 15, but right before those verses, he wrote about part, being participants in God's love. Look at this, again, Second Peter chapter one, but we're gonna go back to verse five. Verse five says, Peter wrote, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just, I, pause. I just love how Peter connects all of these together and how it is only when we work to increase these qualities, which reflect God's nature, that we will remain effective and productive. Now, I know we have plenty of people that, that we know and love who have said, I believe in Christ, I am a Christian, but they would not be called effective and productive. That's not me trying to throw stones, okay? I'm just saying, we just know Christians who are having a hard time. They were once on fire, and now it's kind of fizzled. It's maybe, maybe, maybe there's something there, maybe there's not though. And, and, and based on what we see right here, we can see their trajectory. Peter's connecting all of this. And he's saying all of this matters, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. All of these matter if you want to remain effective and productive. Now, church, I don't know about you, but maybe this is a reality check for you. Uh, you will never peak as a Christian, okay? You don't grow with God to the point that you are done. And Peter says as much in the twilight of his life, don't be ineffective, don't be unproductive. But we are challenged inst instead 
to grow in, as he lays out. We are challenged to grow in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and of course, love. Finish well, church. Peter, knowing this is likely my last letter, he's pleading with these persecuted, suffering Christians to endure. Do not settle. Do not shrink back. But step up. How many tragic stories do we hear about ministry leaders, pastors, or whoever who don't finish well? Peter's saying, finish well. But how many unfortunate stories come out later about such and such ministry leader or pastor where their careers just end and it's found out that they were living a different life than the one they were preaching to people. Do not, I, I cannot, I cannot overstate this. Don't stop growing with God. Don't stop pursuing the things of God. We can't afford to stop practicing the way of Jesus. And when we fall short, to be honest, to, to accept responsibility, and to accept the grace. We are to finish well. And you know what? That's honestly probably a great finish for today. So I do know we're a little early, uh, but as I was writing this week, I, I was texting Pastor Jacob, or I told him to his face or something. Uh, you know, there, there's usually a certain amount I, I just naturally reach in like a Word doc. And I was like, we're pretty far, far short of it, but I also don't feel compelled to fill time just for the sake of filling time either. And, and some of you are like, great. You know, that, that's fine. I, I take no offense. You know, the, Peter said, don't, don't be easily offended. So I won't, okay? I won't. But this is a good space to land right here. And so if, if you have it still up, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 5, this is where we're going to close, okay? I'm going I'm to kind of reiterate this a little bit as we wrap up. Uh, and, and team, you can go ahead and, and come on up as well. Now, in 2 Peter, we will finish 2 Peter next week, meaning we will also finish the Flawed Yet Faithful series next week. Um, we're going to finish 2 Peter. We are going to cover what is known of Peter's death. But today, we will close with his opening challenge. And so I want to finish with some reflection, some challenge to us today from our flawed yet faithful friend, Peter about these qualities. And so if you have your Bible in front of you, that first quality is, is goodness, right? He, he has it right there. We want to we add goodness to our faith. And so my question for you regarding goodness. When it comes to goodness, is it difficult to do good to those who wish you harm? Is it difficult to do good toward the people who aren't just indifferent toward you? but they don't like you. That second quality is also, is, is knowledge. <clears throat> so church, let me ask you, are we taking seriously the command to grow in our knowledge of God, but to also share our faith? Are we pursuing an honest, why do I believe? To reach a new generation. 
or to simply go deeper ourselves? Or are we just kind of being apathetic with, yeah, I used to be a whatever, but now, eh. That third quality is self-control. Does it seem like we have a sin or a sin pattern that just derails us so easily? Are we being honest about it when people ask, how are you? Are we meeting it with the cliche, good? I'm good, pastor. Or are we being honest? I know there's only so much you can share in a pass on, on a Sunday morning. I, I fully understand. But are we being honest with ourselves in the first place? There's perseverance. Is our faith a mile wide but inches deep? Meaning, we appreciate church. This is nice. This is fine. We like Jesus. He's cool. But do we absolutely crumble in the face of adversity? Or as Peter said earlier, or do we stand firm in, the, in our faith? There's godliness. Are we participating in the same grace and love as our heavenly father? Are we seeking to forgive those who slander us? Are we seeking to forgive people who purposely misunderstand you? Are we seeking to give that sort of grace to others? Are we looking for opportunities to love others? There's mutual affection, and this has to do with the community here. Do our expectations of church stay within these four walls? Meaning we come, we sit, we talk, and we go until next week. Or when we consider those in this community, do we actually have an affection toward them? Do we come with expectant hearts and spirits to see that person at the door smiling? Do we come looking forward to be together in community with one another? I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see her. I wonder what their, their week has been like. Do we have room for one another in our lives as you look around this room? Do we consider these people, our friends and our family, the people we call in crisis? And lastly, love. And so I just want to take a moment. Would you ask God to bring to mind the people we need to show love to in this season? Who am I to serve? Who am I to pray for? Who am I to give time to? Who can I show and share the love of Jesus with in my life? What would our community look like if we took steps forward in our faith in these areas and if we did so in the next few weeks? What impact would we have in the kingdom of God if we accepted that challenge? I just wonder what our, what our marriages would look like if we took this seriously. I wonder what our homes would look like if we took this seriously. Our relationships to our children if we, if we took steps this week. Because Peter lived and died believing Jesus was Savior and Lord. And given the chance to encourage others, he left them with this challenge. So let's take this seriously. And let's add to our faith this week.